Hey, what's up, everyone, and welcome back to the Weekly D. And today I have the amazing Michelle Shimmy joining me. Myself and Michelle, we talk about all things business. We talk about all of the amazing businesses that she has started since her pole journey, starting with PDA, her world famous studio, all the way down to things like her new hand grip and an upcoming project, which you'll get an exclusive sneak peek into. So, this is your weekly D, because honey, if you ain't getting your D on the daily, you should at least be getting it once on the weekly. If you're not getting any, if you want some tea, then come and join Dan up on the weekly D. Hey Shim, thanks so much for coming onto my podcast. It's good to have you on here. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks, Dan. How are you? Yeah, I'm awesome. Um, I want to get this podcast started straight away with one of the questions that you get asked all the time. And I thought, I'm just going to avoid this right now and just get it right out of the way. Are you and Maddie Sparkle sisters? sisters. <laughs> <laughs> you knew it was coming. Yes, we are. We're really sisters. I mean, I think people get confused because I'm known as Michelle Shimmy and she's known as Maddie Smart Sparkle, but they're not our real names. I know, I know. And people are like, yeah, but her last name isn't Shimmy, so they can't be related. No, so <laughs> we got, we kind of, they're our pole dancer names, like our stage names, I guess. So in Australia, it's kind of a pole dancing tradition that, um, well, it was when we started, um, that when you start competing, you have a stage name. And I had my mm-hmm. first amateur competition and I was about to go on stage and Maxi Shields said to me, what's your stage name? And I couldn't think of anything because I didn't have one. And I just said, Shimmy, because my sister, her nickname for me was Shamel. So instead of Michelle, she turned it around, Shamel. And then she used to call me Shim and Shimmy. And so I was just like, all right, that can be my stage name, Shimmy. And so then I started competing under the name Shimmy. And Maddie, she didn't have a stage name at all. And then when we went to um, LA for the first ever pole, um, what was it called? Pole, it wasn't PoleCon. It was something else then. Pole um, Expo? No, no, no. Like the original one. No, I can't remember. Oh, but um, <laughs> It was, it was not- in LA. Anyway, we went and um, met my friend Crystal and her kid watched a TV show over there that the characters were called um, Shimmer, Sparkle and something else. And so it was Crystal Gibson's little kid who was like three years old at the time that called Maddie, Maddie Sparkle. And then that's just it. That's all it is. But we are sisters. That's so funny. But people ask you this question all the time, right? Yeah, all the time. It must get so boring and annoying. So I'm going to ask the last boring and annoying question. How tall are you? I am 168 centimetres tall when I'm not wearing a watch. So I want to know that in, so I feel like I'm kind of like, you know, when you feel like you're kind of in on the joke, but you're not really on the joke. Why? Because obviously um, Daddy Birdie and obviously um, Maddie, they all like do that whenever you're in life. (laughs) What's that? Daddy Birdie's not our real sister. (laughs) Right, yeah. Just everyone, just in case you're running, Daddy Birdie is not related to them. Um, But like, so where is who is it that keeps asking how tall you are? Is that just like a creepy guys thing? <laughs> it's just always these weird dudes on um, Dirty Buddy's Instagram that ask her how tall she is. And so we just 
heckle her. I don't know. We just heckle each other all the time. Sometimes I worry that people think like that I'm genuinely trolling her. <laughs> but some of the things that I post on her Instagram. But um, yeah, no, we just heckle each other. And like in real life, we're the same. It's just I don't know. <laughs> stupid. No, I I love it. I think I think it's really obvious that you're not trolling each other. I think it's <laughs> hilarious watching you watching you through. That's why I always log into your lives because I always want to see you all trolling each other on the lives because I find it hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dirty so, gets really upset when Maddie and I post makeup tips because Dirty Birdie is actually like legit really good at makeup and um it hurts her soul <laughs> when we <laughs> do our tutorials. Dirty Birdie, like Deeps is like proper into her like bodybuilding posing at the moment. She's like looking amazing. She yeah. looks crazy, like ripped at the moment. Yeah, she that is. bitch. Trains all day. <laughs> I know she's what a life I'd love to live I'd love to live dirty Betty's life I actually said that to her last time I, I saw her all the time. I don't have the energy for that <laughs> <laughs> so tell us where it all started Shim it started with corporate law right so would you ever go back to corporate law is that uh is that an industry that you would ever go back to no definitely not um I think looking back on it I think I was very much a square peg and a round hole in corporate law. I just didn't, it just wasn't for me. I think I was trying, like I had an idea of what I thought my career was going to be. Um, well, actually I wanted to do international law um, and I did like an internship at the UN in the, in the Hague in the Netherlands. And I wanted to do that, but then I came back and my mum was sick. And so I ended up staying in Sydney and I got a job um, at a corporate law firm. And it just, I just kind of got, not stuck there, but I just, it was a good job and it was a really good firm. And I was like, well, I guess this is it. Um, but it was really not for me. And I remember at one point thinking I, I got like upgraded to the office with the view. So in Sydney, all the big law firms have got Harbour views. And before I'd been on like an, in, on the internal office side, and then I got my office with a view and I was like, oh, this is nice. And then I thought, well, where to from here? And it was just the corner office. So just one a few up. And I was like, God, if I stay here, I'll literally spend like the majority of my life in this office. And I just, I just thought that was like really not for me, quite a depressing thought. So, um, right. Yeah. One thing kind of led to another. I wasn't, I wasn't very happy there. It was too, um, just wasn't for me. And then I was like, fuck it, going to open a pole studio. Right. Fair enough. So you started learning pole while you were at the law firm or were you still at uni learning law at the time? No, I just finished uni and I'd just come back. I'd done my internship and I'd just come back from The Hague and I had some time to kill before I started the graduate position. And Maddie said to me, do you want to go and do a pole dancing class? And I thought, I said to her, no, that sounds so stupid. Why would I want to do that? (laughs) And she talked me into it. And I went along and literally from my first class, I was like, oh, my God, I love this. I absolutely want to continue. And so Maddie and I continued. um, But then she went overseas for a bit and she sort of stopped pole dancing and I kept going. And then when she came back, I was like, Maddie, we're opening a studio together. And she had nothing much else to do at that point. (laughs) And she just said, okay. And originally kind of the idea was that Maddie would be more admin side. 
um because she was a bit behind on the pole dancing but she kind of caught up so. yeah yeah I was gonna say my god she has caught up does it feel really annoying now because obviously you've had a baby you've had to take a little bit of a step back and you're like watching her do all these crazy moves you're like that bitch no, I'm just proud of her like she honestly I always tell people as well like you know, Maddie wasn't flexible when we started doing pole. She couldn't do the splits, mm. couldn't touch her toes, all of that. Couldn't sit up straight in a straddle. And but she has just worked and worked. And she's, it's absolutely incredible. She's, I know people would look at her and be like, she's naturally flexible. But honestly, I promise right. you she wasn't. Everything that she's able to do, she has worked so hard for over like, you know, over a decade now. And she really is like proof that if you just put your mind to it, and become completely obsessed and do nothing else, <laughs> you'll achieve yeah. it. <laughs> well, it's like, um, I think lots of people assume that Anastasia Skuktorova was mm-hmm. naturally flexible, and actually she always posts her before and after picture of her eagle, and she mm. wasn't naturally flexible at all. Like, so yeah. it is, I mean, it is inspiring. She... It depends on your body as well. Like, if you have it in you, then hard work will bring it out. Um, but... I think like, yeah, a lot of the time people just give up when they see someone who's extremely flexible and think, oh, I'll never get to that. But, you know, I mean, I also, same with me, I couldn't touch my toes before I started pole dancing. So, right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I didn't have I didn't have splits or anything like that. Same as you, I I, I probably might even have to touch my toes, but um, yeah. So it took ages, and I was really bad as well. I kind of got really close on one side, so then I just focused on that one leg, and then the teachers yeah. were like, "Oh, you should that probably was back do in the day. I was like, "Oh, no, yeah." That was back in the day when it was like, "What other side?" <laughs> I'm I'm so grateful now to uh, be able to teach students like I'm like listen don't do what I did because I started with one side and then I realized that actually when I did this move I needed this split (laughs) and actually I then had to try and learn the move on the other side which sucks because I could have just easily done it on the side I wanted and got the split I wanted so it's so much better to do both sides and it's so much better for your body of course but um yeah so you um you did a year of your degree in France and then you learned you learned to speak French there and then you uh, deferred university for a semester and spent time in Italy where you learned Italian, right? Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. I did. I did my research. I did my research. No, um, <laughs> my, my question is, can you speak the languages still? Yes. Like fluently? Yeah, yeah. That's I amazing. Mean, I- it's been a while, but no, I can still, yeah, I can still speak French. And do you, um... I mean, it's funny because I studied French because I wanted to work at the UN, but like when I went to work at the UN on the, um, on the internship, everyone just spoke English. So really it's just pole dancing and teaching pole in France where it's come in handy being able to speak French. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> when you go to like France or when you see people like Doris, um, you know, or even Yvonne Smink now, can you, you would speak to them in French? Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. When I'm teaching my workshops, it's kind of like a bit of a mix because a lot of the moves, they just say the English word with a French accent. Um, and also sometimes I'll be, you know, if I'm teaching something and I can't remember the word for a particular body part, I'll just say it in English. And, and they know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you're not yeah, fluent, but, like, I, but you can have a pretty decent conversation. I'm not like a native speaker, but yeah, yeah, no, I can have um, proper conversations. Okay, nice. But <laughs> do you have the, um, do you have like the Australian twang? Are you like, voulez-vous coucher avec moi? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Si tu veux, je peux parler en français un petit peu, comme ça, tu peux, tu peux demander aux, aux gens si je parle avec un bon accent ou pas, je ne sais pas. Ça fait longtemps que je n'ai pas parlé beaucoup français. Oh, wow. I'm actually quite turned on. That was amazing. So what did you just say? I said, if you want, I can say something in French for you and you can ask people if I have a good accent or not. Okay, well, people, you need to message me if you are French and tell me if it was a good accent or not, because it sounded great to me. Publicly, I'm embarrassed. <laughs> no, when I, when I lived in France, I could speak it better. It's been, a, you know, it's been a while. Like, yeah. I not really speak it much. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so Only to my um, elderly neighbour, who I used to live next door to in Bondo Beach. She's French, and we um, speak on the telephone sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um... You just recently did Pole Icon, and I wanted to talk to you about it because you made a post about Pole Icon. It literally looked like the most amazing event. Uh, Chili, congratulations on what looked like an amazing event. Um, it really was. And it was, by the way, I'm just going to say it was Chili and someone else, and I don't know their name, but it wasn't just Chili on her own, but credit to her as well. Both of you did an amazing job by the looks of it, and I hope one day I can come and watch. But, but you made a post saying that you wanted to drop out and you didn't like the pressure of being called an icon. Now, I can kind of relate to this because um, obviously when you're, and I hate this term, but obviously we are technically classed as pole celebrities, people that teach workshops, you know, people look up to us, we've got large followings. Um, I also feel that pressure um, to look a certain way, to be able to do certain things. So is that how it kind of felt for you at this competition? Did you feel like? No, it wasn't really that. It was more that um, I've had, you know, obviously got a small baby at home, but mm -hmm. there was just a sequence of events this year um, in my personal life that meant that I just wasn't able, and because I moved as well, I moved up to the Blue Mountains and I was teaching. Um, I went back to teaching, um, but then my mum, who looks after Charlie for me, she had to have a surgery and it's just like a bunch of things that made it impossible for me to continue teaching in Sydney because it's like an hour to drive down to Sydney. Right. Um, a bit more than an hour. And so by the time Pole Icon rolled around, I literally just, hadn't really touched a pole in like two or three months okay um like I have a pole at home so I'd, occasionally I would do like a little freestyle but I just yeah she's very my my dearest darling Charlie who I love more than anything is extremely <laughs> active and um very very like I just can't she doesn't sit still so I can't like put her on the floor and then just go and train like I put her on the ground and then next minute she's up on the piano or she's like climbing the bookshelf or something like that like Honestly. she's just your story unlike oh my god where does she get this energy from where does she get the energy from i'm like oh my god she was in the living room and i went to the bathroom and i started to run her bath and i came back and she had somehow she pulled the high chair over to the kitchen counter climbed up onto the kitchen counter and was standing next to the sink eating an apple watching bluey on tv and i'm like i love her I just love that. Though. Yeah, I love her too. But she's just, but, um, I had, she's such a free I spirit. Had, yeah, she is. She's, and I should probably have a bit more discipline, but I just find her so hilarious and I yeah, love her to pieces. But yeah, I hadn't been training and like, I don't feel bad about that because I think, you know, I've been in this industry professionally since 2009 and I think that it's fine to take some time for your personal life and to do things that, 
you know, want to have a family. It has to happen sometime. I'm not like here to prove anything, but I just felt like I like to put on a good show and I like to put on something that entertains people. And I felt like I hadn't been able to put enough preparation into it. Um, yeah. But then it was actually, I was on the phone to my sister and I was complaining, being like, oh, I don't want to do it. Like, I just don't, I'm not ready. Like, I don't have the time. I'm so tired all the time because Charlie wakes up at five o'clock in the morning. And I said, I haven't trained. And Maddie said, you've been training for over 10 years. You'll be fine. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> yeah. And then I kind of thought, well, I guess that is what this show is all about. I mean, I'm, I have never claimed to be, you know, like, the most incredible tricks, you know, I've got a few tricks up my sleeves, but I'm not like, you know, I'm not fonging from pole to pole or anything like that. Um, so if people are wanting to see me on stage, then it's because they know that I like to put on a show and I like to entertain. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, can still do that. So the show that we did was very, very last minute because it just was. Um, but I think it gave everybody a good laugh and it was just fun. I had a great time doing it. But that's that's what it's about. It's just about having fun. But the thing is, right, is that do you do you feel that pressure because of the person that, like you said, I didn't have enough time to prepare and I like to give people a good show, but you're a di completely different person now. Do you know what I mean? Like, you've had a child, for God's sake. Like, I feel like it's so mm -hmm. hard to... The, the Michelle Shimmy that was putting on these massive shows back then didn't have a toddler running around. So it's so much different. Obviously, as a as a professional polo, you must put so much pressure on yourself to be like, yeah, but I always put on amazing shows, but that is not the person you are now. You're so different. Like, do you, does your life just mm -hmm. feel so much different now that you've got a child and you're married? Um, yes. It must yeah, just it be so, so different. different. Like, sometimes when I'm like, you know, getting yogurt out of her hair or like, you know, stopping her from eating dog food or, um, unsuccessfully stopping her from eating dog food or like, you know, trying to get her out of the cupboard where she's like climbed in, you know, when I'm like just doing weird things with this like crazy, irrational little human. And I stop and think like, I used to travel the world performing and teaching. <laughs> oh, but it's so different, but I wouldn't change it. You know, no. like I did all of that. It was amazing. And um, this is even more amazing. But would you not, not agree everyone, that for me I think like I I didn't even understand before how much I would love being a mum and I just yeah. I, she's my everything would you not agree though that um like you said oh I used to travel the world I get asked this a lot people are like you're so lucky you get to travel the world you get to do this I'm like it sounds so much glamorous more glamorous than it actually is like because I yeah. fly in I get taken to my hotel. I get picked up the next morning. I teach all day. I go back to my hotel. I sleep because I'm so fucking tired. I then wake up again the next day. And obviously, I'm in a country. I need to make the most of my time and make as much money as I can. And they're like, do you want to stay behind anything. and look at the sites or anything? And I'm like, I don't really have time because I've got to get back home. I've got a studio back home. It's So it's yeah. so different to what people think. It well, is. Imagine if you were traveling from Australia. <laughs> <laughs> right honestly I don't know how you both do it when when I see you guys come and do mini tours and stuff from Australia I just think wow like that is insane yeah, I just jet lag jet lag is an absolute killer and then also because of the cost of the flights you know you have to you have to work for a week or something just to pay off the flights right um so yeah it's definitely like I loved it I got to see 
you know, I take huge pride in the fact that I've pole danced on every continent on the earth except for Antarctica. Mm-hmm. Um, and like saw so many incredible places and met so many amazing people and it was wonderful. But towards like towards the end, you know, and I'm not going to say end as in I've finished touring, but towards when I, before COVID, like getting to that point before I had the baby and before everything got shut down anyway, I was kind of at the point where I was like, I'm tired of being jet lagged. I don't really get to kind of be present in my friends' lives because I'm always away. Um, there was at one point I was away for like six months of the year and it, yeah, it just, it takes its toll. Like you kind of, it's hard to build a life here, like to have a home life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of was ready for something different. Yeah, that's fair enough. And so obviously I wanted, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about on the podcast today was about your businesses. Cause I, um, obviously I love running my businesses and I am like very proud of what I've achieved in my businesses. However, you are just like dominating when it comes to business. And before we talk about your different businesses that you've started and kind of where they grew from, I just want to know, where does that entrepreneurial spirit come from? Do you have someone in your family who is entrepreneurial also? Like someone, maybe your, you know, your mum or dad who is like, has their own businesses, anyone like that? No. So everything that we've done has 100% been through trial and error. Right. Um, and... If I could go back in time to when we first opened the studio and take, I think about this all the time, and take the knowledge and the attitude and the approach that I have now, if I could take it back to the beginning, I just think, oh, my God, I would be so much better off now. Oh, my God, right. You'd be so rich. Can you imagine? Yes. <laughs> but it's part of the journey, though, really, isn't it? It is part of the journey. And the thing is as well that um, when I first started like when I when I first decided that I wanted to open a studio and, you know, Maddie and I were like getting all excited for it, we didn't really approach it from the perspective that we wanted to, you know, be able to pay ourselves a proper salary. And we didn't really kind of hope that we would one day be able to make enough money to buy a house. Like all the normal things that you hope for with a job, right. we were just like, we love pole. We're crazy about pole. <laughs> so long as we can pay the rent, and have a space to train doesn't matter if we need to work other jobs and we did we worked other jobs for like the first two years when we originally opened pole dance academy we worked crazy hard but not very efficiently mm-hmm. in terms of growing the business right. um, we were just training we were like constantly at the studio it was it was a lot of hard work but we loved it like we absolutely loved it and i wouldn't really take it back because it was part of the journey um And it was only like a few years in that I sort of thought like, no, I want to, this is our career now and we should be able to earn, we should be able to pay ourselves properly and we should be looking at like growth and how to um, do better from these businesses. And then that's when everything started to... um, That's that's George opening the squeakiest door in the background, (laughs) the squeakiest door ever. Just go away. (laughs) Just sit still, George. Sit still. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Yeah, so once we kind of like had that shift in perspective, that's when everything changed for us and um, the businesses started doing really well and then we started like doing other things as well and expanding into other ventures like we've got no sweat and shimmy and sparkle 
and um, building, you know, the competitions, pole theater and dance filthy. And we're actually, I haven't, this is kind of has been top secret, but I feel. Ooh, go on. I need to know now. No, you can't do that. You can't say that and not say it. So come on, tell us. Well, we haven't announced it publicly, but we're actually um, about to franchise Pole Dance Academy, which is something that I've wanted to do for a really, really long time. But I didn't want to do it until I felt like we were in a really solid position to be able to give something of value to anyone okay. who wanted to come on board. So people have asked many times over the years, like, do you franchise, blah, blah, blah. And we didn't want to because... Um, we just, I felt like we was, I guess, not like imposter syndrome, but a little bit like that. Like I felt like we didn't really have the systems in place. That, to manage it. Yeah. So I just kind of wanted to wait until we're at the point. And then now I feel like we've been there for a couple of years. So now I'm like, okay, ready to Let's go. Do this. So, yeah. And I'm really excited about it because, um, you know, obviously it's, it's, it's exciting to take on a new venture, but also I think, I think about my little self in 2009 and Maddie, and if I could have met me and Maddie from 2022 and had been given some advice about how to do this, we would have been a lot better off. Right. So, um, you know, if there are any like little Maddies and shimmies out there that, <laughs> that are wanting to open a studio and don't want to kind of spend 10 years of trial and error, but want to kind of go go at it like a business then you know we're here for you like and where's the first of, one gonna be do you know where the first one's gonna be already or are you just you're gonna open it up to anyone can't say can't say yeah we're opening it up to anyone but it's like you know they have to apply and be approved and everything but, okay um, yeah. oh so you don't have anyone who's applied and they're going to be opening the first no, one we do. Soon, we do. oh you do yeah, you can't say yeah. okay well i feel like we've already gotten quite an exclusive there anyway so yeah. can you is, is it in australia or is it outside of australia in australia, yes oh it is in australia okay cool and are you going to open it up to people outside of australia too i think so i really want to um I'm not definitely wouldn't say I'm a perfectionist, but if because you know I you know perform on stage with minimal preparation for yeah. a like on and stuff like that, but I'm not a perfectionist, and in fact I think that being a perfectionist actually hinders you in business. Um, but I do want to get it right and make sure that we roll it out. Like we, I don't want to just kind of throw it out there, and mm -hmm. I want to make sure that everything that we do is quality and is well done. So we're going to kind of like do the first one and then take some, learn some lessons from that and then move forward from that. But I would definitely, definitely love to, if there's people overseas who are interested in um, having a pole dance academy. So, cause it's not just, it's not for like, for me, it's not just, um, you know, about expanding business or anything like that. It's also like the kind of mentoring side yeah. of, because it's very difficult when you set up your, a lot of people who open a studio don't have a background in business because it is for most people, like it was for me and Manny, a passion project to start with. You're like, I just love pole dancing. I just want to create my own space. Um, and it's a bit of a mindset shift to be like, yes, you love this, but you don't have to have that starving artist mentality. Right. You can and you deserve to be compensated for all of your hard work. And that's, it's crazy when you think about it, how much of our industry is kind of in that mindset of, um, I'll work for free if I, right. if I'm 
because I love it so much. And that's the beautiful thing about it as well is that people come with all of their energy and their enthusiasm and they will, you know, I've worked for free in the pole industry and lots of, lots of people do all the time. But at the end of the day, if you're doing something for free, you need to make sure that it's not the only thing that you're doing. Like you need, of course. You need to live. <laughs> We've got bills to pay. You know, it's so exactly. funny. Um, wh- where do you think that comes from? Why do you think it's such a taboo for people to, oh, what's the best way to wear this? Like, you know, you obviously do very well. You've got lots of businesses. You probably make great money from it. Same for me. I've got a few businesses. I do well from it. And I'm proud of it. Why is it that people don't want to, I was actually chatting to Leslie Lyons about this in one of my other podcasts. I was saying, why is it in, the, in our industry, people will be like, oh yeah, I've got a studio, but it doesn't make much money though. Like I don't make much money from it. And it's like, well, that, that's a problem. Why, why doesn't it? Like, because you should be making money from it. Like it's a business. The idea is that you make money from a business, but in our industry, we have this taboo around making money. I don't know. I, I've got this theory that it comes from a protection mechanism of their income that they feel if they tell people, Oh, I'm making all this money. I'm doing great. Cause I've worked hard that people will be like, well, I want a bit of that too. So I'm going to do what you've done, but no one can do what you've done because you did it, not them. It is a bit of that, and it is also the fact that um, maybe a bit of superstition, you don't want to kind of jinx what you're doing. Um, but also I think it's it's not, you know, it's kind of, again, one of the nice things as well about our industry that we are very, it's a very supportive and feminine industry and, mm-hmm. um, like, overall. And <laughs> the I think the supportive side of it comes that, you don't really want to boast or be like, because you know a lot of studios struggle. And yeah. when I went on tour, like when I used to tour all the time, I would um, often be at studios where the studio owner would be saying things like, oh, you know, and we, we had this event on the weekend and it was um, to raise money for this thing and then we did this and all of this work, so much work that they would do and all these free events mm. that they'd put on for their students and all this kind of thing. Yeah. And they'd be talking about how they're not sure how they're going to pay rent that month on the studio. And, right. and I would be like, why? Like, and it's, I think, part of the, the female-dominated side of the industry that women are really used to undervaluing their work, right. and especially when that work is their time. Mm-hmm. So you think it's a, a predominantly more of a, you know, a female thing because they tend to do that uh, a little bit more? I think so. I, yeah. And I'm not, you know, I can't be sure, but I do see a lot of, um, yeah, just it is really, really easy to undervalue your time as a woman because so much uh-huh. of the work that you do is not unpaid anyway. Right. Um, and then, especially when it's something that you care about and your students are your friends and all of that kind of thing. But, but look, you know, your students should want to see you do well. Right. And, and it's just, um, it makes me really sad. Like you just said, you know, they're putting all these free events and stuff and they're doing all these things, with their students. And I feel like the people that tend to be doing that are people that open the studio because they just love pole. They just love pole. They don't care about the money. They just do it because they love pole. I'm like, no, you shouldn't open a studio like that. I don't feel like it's a good way to do it. I opened my studio because for me, I wanted to be able to leave my job. I wanted to be able to leave my job and work. Mm-hmm full-time in pole yeah. I didn't want to freaking like you know be working that job and the studio together because I had to pay my bills 
absolutely not. So it yeah. just, I, it just, I find well, it really weird. Well, are just like a crossover of love and passion and, you know, wanting to be able to turn this into your life, but then realizing that you're suddenly a slave to your pole studio and mm. you're running at a loss and you don't really know how to turn it around because you're teaching so many classes and you're right. covering so many classes and there's hens parties on the weekend. You don't have time to do all the admin. You don't have time to look at your marketing strategy. You don't have time to analyze how your retention rates are going, all of that kind of stuff, because you're so caught up in like the floor needs vacuuming. You know, I've got to wipe down the mirrors, that kind yeah. of thing. So how important is it for you nowadays? Like, did you ever learn about like the importance of having like assistants and people working for your businesses and stuff? Like, did you learn that the hard way or did you employ people almost straight away to help you with stuff like this? Straight away, we employed um, a bookkeeper because Maddie and I are terrible at maths and numbers okay. and remembering to do things on time. So we were like, we definitely need to get a bookkeeper. Um, but yeah, in terms of learning to delegate, that was something we really struggled with for a long time. And even now we struggle with, um, I think something that's very difficult when you, when you love your studio, your studio is your life and you and the studio are just kind of synonymous. You know what I mean? Like, especially if you've named the studio after yourself. Um, and then Maddie and I found in the early days, whenever we went on holidays or if we took an evening off or anything like that, that, um, class attendance would drop. Right. And so it just meant that if we were going somewhere, we just knew that, um, you know, that the studio would take a hit. And over the years, we kind of have had to um, understand that the more focus you put on yourself at the studio, then the more your students are going to be focused on you. It's kind of what's more important is to like grow your studio so focus on like training your instructors and making sure that the environment in the studio is nice so that people are coming not just for you as an individual but for the studio because otherwise yeah. you'll never ever be able to take time off if you get an injury or if you get pregnant or if you have a nervous breakdown or anything like right. that you know you, you want your business to be able to continue without you um so that's something that we've kind of like worked on over the years but even now when it comes to delegating tasks like I still get a little bit of that kind of my studio it has to be how I want it done and I have to try and like remind myself that it doesn't have to be done the way that I think it should be done so long as it's done and it's done well then that's okay oh hey babe sorry to interrupt it's just me real quick do you ever have times where you're sat at home and you're thinking oh I wish my shoulder mount was stronger or I wish I could shoulder mount or I wish I could do an invert or I wish I was able to do an iron X. Well, let me help you come over and give my online strength and conditioning program a try. This is a program you can do from the comfort of your own home. All you need is a pole and a rocking attitude and you'll be able to take class with me. We do three live classes every week and you can catch up on hundreds of videos, which are already on the site. So make sure you check out the pole destroyers. See you there. And you mentioned just a second ago about, um, you know, if you need time to have a mental breakdown. Have you ever had a mental breakdown? I've had many. <laughs> are, we, are we talking like days out? Or are we talking that like just like a stressful day, little sort of like mini mental breakdown? Like, have you ever been to a point where your mental health has really been severely affected to the point you've need to like go and see anyone or anything like that? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, I got um, postpartum anxiety with right. after having Charlie. And it's actually something that I've been meaning to kind of like do a bit of a post on Instagram because I think it's really helpful to other people when they when they see people going through it. I've, I've had, you know, I get anxiety, bouts of anxiety. I've had that for a long time. Mm-hmm. And it really intensified um, after I had Charlie. And it was all kind of to do with her sleep. Um, yeah, I was just about to ask, like, is it, so what is the anxiety, is the anxiety, sorry, forgive my ignorance on this. I, when, when you said postpartum anxiety, I know obviously some people suffer with anxiety of losing the child when they're pregnant and stuff. I know people can suffer with that. I had so much anxiety all through the pregnancy. So it it started to, I didn't even, like I said, I've always been anxious. I didn't really think too much of, when I say always been anxious, really it's since I, opened my own business that I had anxiety right it really kind of for me it manifested in things um I didn't even have like enough of an understanding of what was happening to be able to name it I just thought that maybe I was going a bit crazy so you know I'd be I'd just be you know chilling out at home or whatever when I was pregnant and suddenly I'd have like a terrible thought of something really bad happening or once Charlie was born, I'd be walking her down the street in the pram and I'd see someone on the other side of the road and I'd think, oh, my God, he's going to come over, grab her out of the pram and throw her on the ground. And, like, really sudden wow. and very, like, visual kind of yeah. terrible thoughts. Uh-huh. And I I just, I didn't know that, anyway, they're called intrusive thoughts and I yeah. didn't know that that was a thing that new mums had. Um, but I had that a lot. And then the Is other thing that happened was, yeah yeah it's common it is okay Um, right but I stopped being I would wake up at night if I thought I heard a noise and then I would just lie awake even if she was still asleep and I would not be able to go back to sleep because I'd be waiting for her to wake up and my heart would be thumping um I would when I was trying to put her down for naps during the day if I'd get her down for a nap and then if there was like you know a leaf blower a guy with a leaf blower outside or something like that I remember one time I I was so I finally got her down for a nap and there was a guy with a leaf blower outside and I ran outside in my pajamas and started abusing him in the street and he was just like I don't think Whoa. he even spoke English he was just looking at me like I was crazy <laughs> but it was like that kind of overwhelming rage in those moments where I was like how dare you and, and eventually it was interfering with my sleep so much that I would not sleep at all at night and then um, I spend all day in bed unable to do anything the next day like crying and being like it was just very very difficult and um I didn't want to take any medication because I I thought of that as a bad thing mm. um but once I went on anti-anxiety medication just everything got so much easier yeah I don't and think I tried to come off it a couple of times I, but I think it's so important that you mention that as well because I think it is such a taboo subject when we talk about taking medication for depression or anxiety but if it's essential, it's essential. Like, I don't, I don't think that it, but I was the same. I mean, I've been, when we went through the pandemic and stuff, I went on to antidepressants yes. for a little bit because it really, I'm very much a creature of um, habit and routine. These are my studio days. These are my days off. Oh. Oh. 
well yeah. that's okay these are my studio days these are my uh, days off and stuff you know so yeah. i am used to that routine and when it all got thrown out my window or oh, i really did not take that well i i really struggled with it so i um you know i totally appreciate that you have mentioned that because i think for many people listening there'll be lots of people who are taking meds who maybe are embarrassed to talk about it and i think it's good oh, but for also them to like know. if you don't even realize that you need them because i didn't think that i needed i thought that i just had regular new mum stress like right it's it's normal to be worried about like your baby's sleep and it's normal to wake up and be like is the baby breathing all of that kind of stuff but like if it's if you've got like a racing heart and you can't and you're having like Mm. you can't fall asleep your mind is racing you have a dry mouth all of that kind of stuff and you feel very stressed and that's that kind of thing's not normal like it's normal to be like oh I wonder if my baby could sleep better or, oh no, they've woken up again. But the, the anxiety that came with all of that, mm-hmm. um, when it becomes overwhelming and it's not just new mum stress. And I think that I, I thought that that's what it was. And I felt a bit like a failure, like why wasn't I coping? Um, but you know, I'm not a failure. I'm doing a great job of and I are. just, yeah, I just have a tendency towards being anxious and being on the medication, um, helps so much what's what's it like uh, I think I know probably what the answer to this is but what's it like running a business managing your anxiety of being a mum and being a mum like or I mean I saw obviously for context um you know you post a picture on your insta stories I did see this insta story um of your laptop on the the toilet you were sat <laughs> on the floor and she was in the bath um you know it must be an absolute nightmare I mean how do you cope with that well, I've only really come back to to work in terms of the admin side of the business um, in like the past couple of months. And that's because my mom's been able to um, take care of Charlie a couple of days a week. Nice. But also she's napping longer now. So she'll do one and a half to two hour naps. So I just smash out as much as I can. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, it's challenging, but I'm I'm feeling really good and motivated and excited to be back working on like, you know, I'm back working on PDA online. We've got some exciting things coming up for that and um, the franchise coming out and all of that kind of thing. Like it's, there's lots of things that I'm really, I'm really, as much as I love being at home with her all day, I also really value being able to use my brain again and being able to like have that kind of excited feel for working on new projects and yeah, yeah all of that. Yeah, it's good. So businesses, yeah, it's <laughs> you, you have, PDA was your first baby. Um, was that Crow's Nest your first one or what was your first one? Bondi Junction. Yeah. Right. Okay. So Bondi was the first one. And then, um, so then obviously how many studios do you have now in total? We've got four, um, but we had, if so we got, had Bondi Junction, then we opened Redfern and then we opened Crow's Nest and then the building that we were in, in Redfern, they were going to do like a complete overhaul of the building. So we had to relocate. So we went to Alexandria, which is great. The Alexandria studio is great, but it annoys me because I'm like, we did five setups and fit outs, but we've only got four studios. Right. That's so annoying. Um, What's, yeah, um, but, you know. I went to a studio so obviously I remember Bondi, I, there was a studio where you walk up some stairs, you go down a elevator or up an elevator. That's that was Crow's Nest. Is that one still there? Yes, that one's still okay, there. Okay, fine. So what's the one that's that, that you had to move out from? 
Redfern. Okay, I don't. I think that was maybe the one that I did. Redfern was to. the one where we had we had like a little stage and we had like the lights that said pole up the top, and then we had a pink room and one room was um. Yes, hold on, hold on. That one was there like a little. There was a a disabled walkway and then there was a stairs to the door and then there was yes. um the door and your office yes. was on the left. That's right. Yeah. Oh, that was actually the first first one I went to. Oh, I remember that. Yes. I was I was <laughs> say I remember um it's Leisha, wasn't it? She used to work in the office, in the little office to the left. So she used to be in there. Is she still working with you? Leisha is still doing stuff for PDA online, doing tutorials and stuff. Um but she's got two babies now. I so know. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's a busy mama. Um, she's a busy mum. So, okay, so the studios were the first thing. And then next was, was it Pole Theatre next? Yes. Pole then... Theatre was um, the first big comp. And then we had Dance Filthy. And then, yeah, Pole Theatre just kind of, we didn't really intend for that to go overseas at all, but we just, Stacey messaged us about it and wanted to bring it to the UK. And we said, sure. And then then other people just started asking. We were like, okay, let's do this. So let's do it, yeah. It's on at the moment because we kind of just wanted everything to get back to normal COVID wise Mm -hmm. um but now that everything seems to have kind of settled we're gonna we're gonna bring it back yeah because I think there's still a theater in Greece somewhere that has a deposit from us (laughs) oh really yeah like a hundred percent I think that was such a great idea what a brilliant idea so it was okay so then it was dance filthy then it was um shimmy and sparkle clothing then it was dry dry uh, so what was it? no sweat, no sweat. Mm-hmm. and then um yeah then obviously pd online how many businesses in total is it now six oh i don't know the um, studio well, i mean Pop they're all it. kind of you know so we've got two separate companies we've got shimmy and sparkle and we've got pole dance academy um oh, okay. and they're kind of separated into the two so pda online anything that is like an online sale like shimmy and sparkle and pda online um and no sweat that's all in shimmy and sparkle and then pole dance academy is just the studios right okay what about pole theater pole theater is in pole dance academy yeah oh so so okay i'm intrigued by that more from a business point of view why didn't you separate it um well honestly because it just started off so small like it just started off like a little competition that we ran here and then it grew. And because the staff, our staff that work on like Leash um, worked on pole theater a lot, um, but also for pole dance Academy. So in terms of like pay and invoicing and all that kind of stuff, it's just easier to do it through the one company. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, probably when we, when we pick it back up again, we'll probably structure it a bit differently. I only really we're really that. taken by surprise how how quickly it grew. Right, of course. It was and the yeah. only reason I was asking was because um like in the UK, for example, when you go over a certain amount of money, I think it's eighty thousand pounds, when you go over that, and that's not profit, that's income obviously. When you go mm. over that you have to register for VAT. So that's why I was like, oh, so I was like, so you're gonna have to be paying VAT because of that business maybe we taking have over. VAT. What? You don't have VAT? No, we've got GST, but it's 10%. Oh. Yeah. I'm moving to Australia. I'm 
<laughs> oh my god well to be fair like uh, this sorry anyone who's listening to this is a bit boring um we we have vat you get to choose either doing 20 percent and you can claim back vat that you've paid or you can go on to like a flat rate depending on the type of business you are and it can be like eight percent so it, it depends on the type of business you've got and stuff but yeah sorry everyone so boring i know but yeah taxes i know i just about the vat and i guess well, GST, it's probably the same with VAT, is that yeah. when you had a really good quarter, then for us, it's called our BAS, when we have to pay the GSTs, the business activity statement, it'll be really, really big. And you're like, oh, you get so annoyed how much tax you pay. And then you're like, oh, but it's because we had a good right. couple of months. And then when you like get your, your bill and it's a lot lower, you're like, oh, great, don't have to pay much tax. And then you're like, oh, what's well, because we haven't earned much or whatever. So it's yeah. kind of like a... Of course. <laughs> My accountant, I... So I was, I had a period just when we started the online business and stuff where I had to pay loads of tax and it's because I was so untax efficient about the way I went about it. And then uh, what by the time it was too late, it was too late to change anything. So my accountant just said, right, we're going to change this, change this, and we'll run it a bit better from now. She was like, but the thing is, she said, you've got to be happy because yeah, it's a lot of tax, but you're only going to pay tax on money you've made. And I was like, yeah, I've exactly. never thought of it like that before. Do you know what I mean? Like exactly. you have to, you have to make does. enough money to pay that, you know? I've often thought about delegating because I'm the one that pays, um, pays tax and pays like, oh, that kind of stuff is my part of my role. Um, I've often thought about delegating that because I just don't want to look at it. <laughs> I get so I upset me it, it puts me in the most miserable mood. It puts me in such, <laughs> and I, I just feel miserable for a few days. And I feel like I would like to delegate it for that pure reason. It just makes me yeah. miserable. And I'm just like, oh, I feel so shit about that. But yeah, I think sure. whereas with a normal job, obviously the tax is... and you can pay mine. <laughs> yeah, sure. So I, I remember like when I used to work a normal job, obviously the pay that went into your bank account was all yours. You never had yes. to go, right, I have to save some of this for tax and stuff. Whereas now you see the number in your bank account and you're like, oh, I'm doing good. And then the tax bill comes through and you're like, ah, <laughs> it's all going again. So I've yeah. actually always been so paranoid about that, that um, I've always kept, I've always made sure that we have like a massive buffer Same. in the bank account. Yeah. Because I think all it would take is a couple of bad terms or a pandemic. Um, and then, you know, you'd really be in trouble. So yeah. Maddie and I, when we first opened the studio, we didn't pay ourselves a wage for like the first two years or something, I think. Like wow. we just earned money from our other job. And we kind of saved enough money to open the next studio. We didn't borrow money. We did it all from our savings, all the studio money. Mm -hmm. um, and then, again, didn't we didn't pay ourselves very big salaries at all, like very, very low. Um, so that we could grow that buffer. Yeah. And I always felt really paranoid doing that. And then when the pandemic happened, I was like, finally. Thanks. <laughs> yes, 100%. Yeah. I am, <laughs> I'm, my studio is a, a venue that is small, but it's inside a community center and the, the room is small, but I'm not committed to being there. So if I'm not there or if we have to close down or whatever, I don't pay anything. And I've, um, and there's been times over the last couple of years, I thought, nah, come on, let's just go for it. Let's get a big place and just go bigger, go bigger, go home. And it was at that point <laughs> I was like, oh my God, thank the Lord. I was like, thank God. Because I felt so bad for these studios that were paying ridiculous rent and they weren't being let off the rent and stuff. Did you get any help with that, by the way, for your studios? Did you get any relief from your rent? There was some help. 
there was some help. We were entitled to a 50% waiver of rent and then a 50% deferral. So we were still paying 50% rent for the time when we weren't using the studio, which uh-huh. obviously hurt, but I don't know. What can you do? Were you it allowed really to tough. use it yourself to teach online from or anything? Oh, it was, it wasn't really clear. Um, right. Cause as with everywhere in the world, I think our government was just making it up as they went along. <laughs> um, so some studios were doing it, some weren't. We, we did, but we would only have one person go into the studio at a time. And they had to like, you know, clean before and after. And I think it was a bit of overkill in hindsight, but, um, you know, no one really knew what was going on. Right. It's very stressful. I cried and cried and cried and cried when we had to close our studio. I was just like, what's going to happen? Yeah. Yeah. I was, um, I was sad about it, but I think I was less sad purely because of the fact that I knew I had no commitment. So I was really lucky, but oh God, I felt so bad for the the people who were in that sort of boat. So, but you're so lucky, I guess, that you got help. Some studios in the UK got no help at all. Like it was really sad and we lost a couple. Yeah, Australia was, they were really, the government had like a really good response. So random change of questioning. Um, We've talked a lot about your businesses. You've had lots of successful businesses and obviously you've had a lot of success within the pole industry. Now, success always has to come with some sort of negative side. Um, so have you ever had any negative stuff come from what you do? Anything, any, is there any downside to it? Um, at first, when I first opened the studio, I definitely... Um, had a few people in my life kind of when I told them that I was opening a pole studio and quitting corporate law they obviously didn't think it was a good idea and tried to talk me out of it um and I think because I've had a bit of a negative reaction from people who are quite close to me I developed a bit of a um I guess like a chip on my shoulder or a bit of paranoia or like I guess I was just a bit sensitive Mm-hmm. to that and I definitely in the early days I definitely noticed there were more people who would make comments um like I remember one guy um who I'd known when I was in high school he said something like I thought you were supposed to be smart like what are you doing this for and I was like you just work for your dad <laughs> yeah. but it, it did kind of it, it bugged me. Um, and, I, and also there was another, uh, one of my teachers in high school who I always really looked up to. I found out from um, Chile actually that she'd been at the hairdresser with her or something like that and overheard her talking about one of her students who she thought was going to go on to, to do big things and then she found out that I'd quit law to open a pole studio and apparently Chile <laughs> told her off. <laughs> Oh God! Of course, of course, it would have been chilly. It couldn't have been anyone else. Of course, it was chilly having a hair done at the time. But um, yeah, there's definitely a little bit of kind of. It's not really like a chip on my shoulder. It's more just kind of like it irritates me that people make those kind of face value judgments and think mm-hmm. that it's not you know, that you're not living, I don't know, living up to your potential or whatever, if you decide to take a path that's a little bit different from the mainstream. But um, at the same time, I'm sure that I've made those kind of judgments or misunderstood people in their their jobs or whatever. So, you know, yeah, doesn't really matter. I've also learned over the years that no matter what you do, 
there are going to be people who disapprove of it. So you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. So you might of as well course. just live yeah. your life and follow your bliss and don't worry about them. Yeah, I talk about this all the time. It's one subject that really bugs me. So I talk about it with everybody. But like, you know, it doesn't matter what you do or what good intentions you have. No one gives a fuck. They literally will just find ways to be annoyed about it or to be angry about it. And it really pisses me off I hate it so much yeah. have you have you have ever had anyone try to cancel you have you ever had people sharing me like shimmy has said this shimmy did this and people are sharing on their stories they're all trying to probably. tag you probably yeah probably um I I really kind of like watched in horror um at that whole internet pile on on um Lux ATL like a oh yeah years ago. what was what was that about was that about apparently I she... yeah I, I can't remember I don't even that know what it was yeah I stayed um, out of that I was like oh yes. god I've always liked her and I just thought regardless if you'd had an experience that you didn't like or whatever the situation was if some people attended her retreats and absolutely loved them and I think there are a few people who didn't it wasn't what they were expecting but yeah. I just think I do not understand the need to publicly massacre someone online and try to humiliate them and like go after their physical appearance their relationships the way they parent like I I watched that whole thing and I just it made me feel sick yeah um I just would never I I, I just I don't know I didn't like it at all and at that point I just kind of stepped back from social media a bit like I still post a lot but I don't um you keep away from the controversy I keep away from the controversy because I, like I said, I have, I'm, I have a bit of anxiety and especially during the pandemic, but just all of that stuff, like it, I kind of, I just need to, for my own mental health, not get too involved in controversies. And I see them online and sometimes I want to comment and say like, oh, you know, I think this or that, but then I'm just like, mm, don't, don't bother. And then, and then and then you'll have people that will be like, um, you know, it's funny because you remember the Tuesday topic on Polos where it was like, oh, one of the studios weren't paying um, this instructor. And um, and you were like, oh, you know, I need to just come on and let you all know because I've been tagged. It is not PDA. And it's but people like people had no reason to believe it was PDA, but people were taking. Oh, I hope this. I I hated that. That really wound me up. The people were like, oh, this better not be you, PDA, or this better not be you, Sydney Pole, or people would be like, I bet yeah. this is this is Shimmy and Maddie or whatever. I'm like, hold <laughs> up, like, no, don't accuse anyone without any information. That's not cool. Like, um, but that but also, actually, I mean, I just like, of course you pay your instructors like of course at the same time though I don't know I don't even know who the studio was or who the owner of the studio was but I just think like it wasn't towards the end of the pandemic I don't know like it was at a difficult time Mm. and I think like if you don't know the full story of what this person's been going through themselves or what they've agreed with their instructors or what I don't know. I just think like... I think the difficulty with that particular situation is that there should be no real circumstance where you don't pay people. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't... It doesn't matter how no, hard you're struggling. Like, if I was really, really struggling, 
I just teach them all myself. I just wouldn't ask my teachers to teach. Do you know what I mean? So I think um, I'm really glad that she did get paid in the end because the topic, I knew that if I posted the topic, it would get people talking and then the studio owner would see it. And then when she saw it, she'd mm. be like, I can sort the situation out. And it did. And the girl was like, I remember her messaging me afterwards and saying, I'm so glad I'd done it this way because had I actually messaged her, I reckon I would have got mm. kicked out of the studio because it just would have been like the not to do thing. But when it's like, this thing, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's someone, you know, but, um, yeah. and, but, the, and I don't hold anything against the person because when you go through a really tough time, like the pandemic, we make wrong decisions. You know, it's not to say that she did it out of spite and she a hundred percent, I would, I would guess that she didn't. It's just one of those things like we we have to make decisions on how to run our businesses and sometimes they're not the right decisions and that's okay mm. and but sometimes it's very hard in our I just, industry. Yeah, I just know I mean I have been an instructor and I'm also a studio owner and I just I know from talking to some of my friends who own studios in Sydney how tough they were doing it through like I said, we were very fortunate because of my paranoia about stockpiling enough of a buffer that like we were okay. And I just watched so many of my instructors go, not only through my fellow studio owners going, not through only just like having to pay rent when they had no income, but um, other things as well, like landlords wanting to kick them out, right. floods happening. Like it was just, it's just been the most unbelievable two years. So I'm not, I don't, obviously I don't think there's that it's okay to not pay your instructors, but I do have, a lot of empathy for my fellow studio owners who a lot of them were like barely breaking even to start with. Yeah. Probably because they've been doing too much, you mm. know, putting too much of their own passion and love into their projects rather than um, actually, you know, taking a business mind to it. But yeah, I don't know. I just, I just have a lot of empathy for everyone. Oh, I think, and I think the instructor did as well. Like, like, you know, I think everyone does. I think you've got to have some empathy, obviously. Like, and I think that's why, even if it had got out who it was, um, mm. they would have been like, well, they are going through a hard time. And I think people can understand that mistakes may have been made in the heat of the moment, not yeah. knowing what to do, because we've never been through that before. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's just, it's one of those things, isn't it? But it's nice that people can use a platform like that to be able to say stuff that they want to be able to say anonymously, because yeah. if she I went mean, to post that herself. Get... Yeah. <laughs> a lot of the time you get people getting really fired up in the comments. And, um, but then I'm also often really reassured to read comments where people are like, oh, you know, we should, you know, you need to find out this or that, that there are actually a lot of rational people out there in the in the internet world not mm. just kind of like i don't know it's the kind of automatic leap towards outrage that right. um that stresses me out with the online situation because obviously life is all shades of gray yeah i think that's an online thing though don't you i think it's just like yeah. people on the internet they instantly see red and they just go crazy whereas if you put yourself yeah. in a situation face to face in that yeah you might see red but you you deal with it rationally because obviously that's what you'd want to do right you wouldn't want to go crazy mm. about it but yeah so yeah. okay so you've never specifically had a time where you can remember that you've been cancelled or anything that people have been like oh you didn't do anything that people just didn't like or you know you've run an event that people were like oh shimmy is like yeah, overcharging no, we, or anything like that you know we've had um 
you know, complaints from Dance Filthy and Pole Theatre before where people felt that they weren't sufficiently warned about the content of some of the shows. What? Um, Are you serious? Yeah, yeah, quite a few. And often I agreed with them, but, you know, sometimes we don't actually know what the competitors are going to be doing um, until they do it. And then we're like, oh, gosh, we're as shocked as you are. (laughs) Um, And there have been times when it's difficult because as the organiser, obviously the buck stops with you and, you know, you've got to be on top of as much as you can. But, um, yeah, sometimes you don't necessarily understand that something might offend someone or, you know, I, I kind of take the position that if someone's offended, then they're offended. You don't get to decide whether or not it was offensive if they feel offended. Correct. Um, at the same time, it's not always possible to understand every aspect of every and be across every single issue. And also on, on a practical level on the day of the competition, you know, you might be running around backstage when they're rehearsing or they might not wear their costume until the actual show and then you're like, oh, that's not really very appropriate or mm. whatever. And, yeah, if if we're a big multi-million dollar industry, then, you know, you could have people who were just sitting there watching the rehearsals. You could hire – it's – Paul was growing and getting more professional and we, we try. We all try really, really hard. Um, yeah, and sometimes sometimes things happen – that you do get complaints and feedback yeah. about on, and you just have to kind of take it on board. And we kind of like constantly try and update, like our, we've got ethical guidelines for pole theatre, um, which probably need updating as well. But, yeah, sometimes, you know, I think when people um, send complaints, they picture that there's a whole team mm-hmm. working on stuff. But right. it's, you know, it's me, Maddie, and we've got, well, at the moment we've got one full-time employee um, and then we've got the reception team and the instructors and stuff. But yeah, before we had two full timers. Um, but yeah, so it's not a huge team. Yeah, it's not a big team at all. So how, like, like with pole theatre and stuff, obviously, as you know, like a lot of the subjects and the themes are subjective. You know, some people that I've been at pole theatres before, where they've had to give trigger warnings for people just to give them the opportunity to leave if they wanted to, if it was on a certain subject. Yeah. I'm intrigued to know how much responsibility people put onto you at events that aren't specifically run by you. For example, like if Stacey was to run one, um, I know there was one, I can't remember what country it was in, and it was, uh, I mean, now it would not fly at all because of everything that's happening, but th- that girl who did the the nun who had a baby and she wanted to have an abortion kind of thing. Do you remember that was like the big... I was there for that one. You were there for that? Oh, my God. Like, And I just remember the online outrage over that routine and um, I mean obviously it's so different when you talk about it now because of what's going on in the world but obviously at the time mm-hmm. um, it was a really it was a bit of a tough one because of the way she'd gone about it and it was supposed to be comedy and she tried to you know make sure it was comedy but it was still quite offensive and how much of that comes back to you even though um, it wasn't you who did it. It wasn't you who did, you know, but people will be like, oh, Shimmy was there and she didn't stop the routine or whatever because I've had that before. People have been like... I would never stop. Yeah, I would never stop a routine, like, unless it was, you know, like, racist or homophobic or, like, something that was really, really wrong. Um, I mean, not really, really wrong, but, like, you know, something where it, it's... It's, it's difficult. I mean, yeah. we have our ethical guidelines. At the end of the day, we kind of do put the responsibility on the performer to take responsibility for their art. Yeah. Um, 
with that particular performance, the, the funny thing was that when she first did it in the US, um, people in the audience were laughing. But when she did it in the finals in Europe, which really surprised me, I thought it would be the other way around. Right. In Europe, it was the reception was different. Um, so, I mean, we know culturally things, you know, it things don't trans- translate necessarily across cultures. Things that seem okay in Italy are not okay I'm in not. the US, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't, I don't know. I kind of feel that, feel like we give people the opportunity and we, we have rules and we have guidelines um, and provided they fit within the rules and the guidelines, then ultimately it's, it, the performer is the artist and they're responsible for their art. Yeah. What is difficult is when we have those rules and guidelines and um, a national organiser doesn't necessarily interpret the performance as a violation of those rules and guidelines, possibly because their English isn't, you know, they, they don't understand it 100% or possibly because for culture, like in their culture, it's not. And I'm, I'm going to give the example of um, the performer in Italy. It wasn't pole theatre. It was a different competition. It wouldn't have happened at pole theatre. but Oh, um, the girl who did blackface? Yeah, she did Sister Act. She did and, Sister yeah, Act, did yeah. Blackface. And, you know, obviously shouldn't have happened. Um, a lot of people in Italy said it's not something we're aware of here. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I feel like knowing that blackface isn't okay is pretty, should, I, I thought it was pretty well known internationally, Inter- but right. you think Italy that. is a very kind of insular country. Um, so <laughs> It shouldn't have happened. It should not have happened at all. And it was no. real. I can't believe that nobody said you I, shouldn't be doing this. I remember seeing that and I felt really sorry for the girls, not because cause they'd made a mistake. And like they'd said, like, there was no, they were like, we, we did not want to offend people. She was mortified. I remember seeing her status and I, I felt a bit bad because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this poor girl. And then even well, on her, and even on her apology, People were going at her. People were going at her on her apology. I was like, I was like, God, like she's really trying her hardest here to apologize for the mistake. Um, but the internet is ruthless. People aren't willing to accept an apology. It's not enough for people. It's like yeah. your apology will never be enough for people. And um, it's really difficult. Uh, but like you said, it was more, I more just wanted to know whether, does any of that come back on you? Like, do you get any hate because it of has, it? Yeah, we've got, we've got a, um, like a, the, the procedure is if there's an issue or a complaint, they go to the national organiser and if it can't be resolved, then it comes through to us and we have a look at it as well. Um, okay. To be honest, the level of, of scrutiny um, and the, the unwillingness to kind of accept, as you say, apologies or, you know, to when you want to say, oh, something didn't go the way we wanted it to, um, the outrage that gets generated on the internet, it has really made me, um, I guess, less enthusiastic for a lot of work goes into events, like into putting on big mm-hmm. whole events. It's a lot of work. It's quite often like pretty, it's not thankless because people do really appreciate it, but people are faster to get angry than they are to you it's the the complaints emails that come first um a lot of the right. time people do get really angry and it it's a little bit um 
it can be demotivating and a bit disheartening because you put so much work into it for not yeah. much money at all. It, it's, they cost <laughs> so much to put on. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just mainly because of the trust and like the, it, it's very, very difficult to put on a really, really big event. Um, yeah. But on the flip side, like a lot of people get a lot out of them. Like, you know, there's been, especially in Europe, so many touring pole performers careers that have been launched through pole theater and you know i remember seeing them as like little baby performers and now they're amazing and that makes me feel really happy that we were able to kind of give them a platform and give them an opportunity to to spread their wings um so i like i do i love the events i love putting them on but yeah it is not good for anxiety it's not good for anxiety (laughs) (laughs) it's really not um well listen we're coming up to time so I don't want to keep you too long because I know you are on holiday but um I just think everything that you're doing is amazing and I think you're just such a superwoman doing all of this whilst trying to look after a child as well well two children if we include George I guess (laughs) so having to look after the two of them and then obviously trying to manage your business I assume you have to look after Maddie as well because Maddie seems like the child out of the two of you whenever I'm watching the videos she seems like the definitely the more immature one out of the to you <laughs> but yeah so you're just absolutely killing it so um thank you so much for coming and speaking to me i would love to talk to you again at some point soon but um yeah thank until you, then man. thank you so much for coming wasn't on there, wasn't there a special request question from one of your <laughs> a special request you sent it to me via instagram messages <laughs> Which one was it? I can't remember. I'm not gonna say it was too embarrassing. You can go back over there. <laughs> I don't no, want to hold, no, anyway. do not go. Hold on. No, I need to find out what it was. That was a special request message. Hold on. Who was it? Oh, was it about um was it about George? No. <laughs> it What the hell? I'm trying to think of what you're talking about. Um no, too late. <laughs> You what? Sorry. No, no, it's all good. Oh, hold on. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. Oh my god, oh, hold on. I can't even talk about that. What a weird question. No, okay, okay, for anyone who's one, <laughs> for so anyone funny. wondering, some I I I wrote a post saying, "Oh, everyone, like, what, what do you want? Who do you want me to speak to?" And someone was like, "Oh, I want you to talk to." Basically, they said, "I want you to talk to Michelle, Michelle about like periods oh, and stuff." I was like, "Period." <laughs> yeah, like hold on. I was like what a random thing like just of all things I mean don't get me wrong it's it could be actually quite a cool subject to talk about it to someone but it was just it was the way she specifically was like I want Michelle Shimmy talking about oh, that's the period. I was like wow okay so one interesting one like maybe we'll save that for next program. time <laughs> yeah, oh but yeah crazy. thank you so much shim and enjoy the rest of your holidays send my love to george that sexy sexy man and um i will oh, see yeah. you i hope to actually see you at some point soon i hope i'll get to see you in europe soon god the thought of taking charlie on a plane just like <laughs> <It's> crazy. <laughs> they'd just be like pasta bolognese just everywhere people sat next to you would just be covered in food <laughs> so mad <laughs> thanks so much Shim and see you again soon thanks Dan bye bye
Hey, thank you so much for watching the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you're on YouTube, make sure you like and subscribe. And if you're not and you're on Spotify or on iTunes, make sure you subscribe and catch up on all the upcoming podcasts that are coming soon. See you again. That was all the tea that you can get this week. Join me next time right here. It's the weekly tea.